Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Romans 1.16 is where I want to be this morning. While you're turning there, I want to just bring your attention to the, the holiday we celebrated last month. Everybody celebrates this, uh, at least they should, and that is my favorite holiday, Groundhog Day. And I have a tradition, the way I celebrate Groundhog Day is by watching Groundhog Day. Anybody else do that? No matter how many times I watch it, it's always funny to me. I just, I just enjoy it so much. And I think the reason is because of the silliness of what's actually going on. So if you don't know about Groundhog Day, the movie, it's about um, Bill Murray, and, and he's this, this reporter who's got an attitude, and he's, he's egotistical and arrogant, and he's not really liked, but he's famous because he's on TV. And, and he gets in this time loop to where every day he wakes up at the same time in the morning to the same day. So 6 a.m., and you guys are playing the song in your head right now, da 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 right? So it's 6 a.m., the clock turns, and he wakes up, and it's like it's the same day over and over and over. And it's funny to me because he doesn't get it at first, and then he starts to just be selfish, and he does everything for himself, and he tries to, to get himself, um, you know, whatever pleasures he wants, and then he gets to the point where he's just exacerbated, and so he tries to kill himself, right? He throws a toaster into the bath, and he, he drives his car off of a cliff, and every single time it's just back to the same day. And then he starts to get it, and he goes, you know, maybe I just need to make life worth living. And so he learns to play the piano, and it, it's, it ends by him finally going on to the next day. And I think the point of the movie is, hey, he became a better person, now he can move on. I like the movie, though, because it reminds me, kind of, now take this jump with me, of the power of the gospel. See, the word gospel means good news. The good news is not just the good news, but it's the unbelievable good news. It's the amazing good news. It's the good news that tops every other news there is, whether good, okay, or bad. So the good news we're talking about today is truly the news of all news. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says this. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is writing to the Romans and he's saying, look, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Let me rephrase that for us. He says, my life is built around the gospel. Everything about me is because of the gospel. Let me rephrase the word gospel for the original meaning of the word. My life is entirely about the good news. Because the good news supersedes every other news in my life. And folks, I want to say to you today that as a church, this is our purpose. We are about good news. Amen? Turn to the person next to you, and I want you to say these words. We have good news. Okay, now when you said that, how did you say it? We have good news. 
Now, I want you to say it as if the news that you're talking about is really good news, right? Try it again. Go ahead. Yeah, so, so there's a the difference. We have good news, right? And we have good, look, I just got to warn you, today I'm going to be super excited. I'm not going to be, I am. Inside of me, there is this lion that's waiting to come out, and the lion is the good news of the gospel. Somebody once said that preachers are kind of funny. They put a lion in a cage, the gospel, and then they try to defend the lion. They stand in front and they try to keep the lion safe. Listen, the lion doesn't need help being safe. Come on. All you got to do is undo the cage and step aside. You let the lion out and the lion will do what the lion's going to do because the lion's the king of the jungle. The lion is the power of the gospel. And the power of the gospel is power for salvation to everyone who believes. That's every nation every tongue, every tribe. It's salvation for every sorrow, every brokenness, every wound. There is literally no news that we could ever receive that is not overcome and changed by the power of the gospel. So folks, we have a a mission statement here. I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. And our mission statement is this. We exist to live and share God's story in a way that others will believe it and live and share it themselves. That is right. That is who we are. That is what we do. That's what we've been doing. If you look at our calendar, our calendar reflects that mission. But I want us to shorten it. I want us to to change it. It's not that we're not going to live and share God's story in a way that others will believe it and begin to live and share it themselves. But we're going to do that because we believe this. We have good news. So from now on, you're going to hear that from here. You're going to hear that personally, and I hope you tell it to each other. Because the good news is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Now let's look at this idea of good news, shall we? Good news in, in the Old Testament is usually, the, the words in the, in the Hebrew are usually words like deliverance or salvation, but it carries the same idea as the words in the New Testament. There are a handful in the Old Testament, there are a handful in the New Testament. The dominant word in the New Testament is euangelion, which means good news of the kingdom of God. So it's the good news, but now if you go back and in, in look at, at language, you know, m- words mean one thing, at one point, and then they kind of morph and they transform to have a, a tighter or a, a little bit clearer meaning. So it used to be that the good news, that word euangelion, meant it was the reward for the one who gave the good news. So if you look in Greek writings, that's the way it was usually used. It's the reward that we receive for giving good news. And then it changed to the good news itself, so the essence of the good news. So when the Bible in the New Testament speaks of good news... Most of the time, it's that one word. And where was that one word used most dominantly? It's about Jesus, or it's by Jesus. Go into your Bibles into Matthew chapter 1. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 4. Let me take you on a little trip to what the good news actually means. In Matthew chapter 4, 
verse 23. The Bible says that Jesus began to go all over Galilee. So he became a traveling evangelist. The word evangelist, the root of that is good news. It's one who brings good news. The word angel is a word that means messenger, and an angel is one who carries or brings good news. Are you seeing a trend here? Now, Jesus began, verse 23, to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. He was defining what the Scripture was meaning. He went into the synagogues. Remember, they were Jews, and so he would go in, he would open up the Scriptures, and he would teach what the Scriptures mean. But here's what he taught about Through all of the scriptures, they all pointed to the same place. Preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So Jesus' primary purpose was to teach that the Old Testament scriptures were all about his primary message, which was the good news of the kingdom. Now, here's where we really have to think about this. A lot of times when we talk about the gospel, what we're really saying is, it's how a person can be saved from hell. And if if we say we're going to preach the gospel, the the most obvious um, message we're saying is, you don't have to be separated from God for all of eternity. The gospel is that Jesus died and then he rose again so that when you die, you can have eternal life. But you know, that's only part of the gospel. Jesus didn't come preaching the gospel of how to be saved. He preached the gospel of the kingdom, which includes how to be saved. Let me tell you why this is transformative. Because the kingdom is bigger than you. The kingdom is bigger than just me. The kingdom has dominion and the kingdom has power and the kingdom has boundaries, which God's kingdom is a boundaryless kingdom. The Bible tells us in um, the scripture that of his kingdom there is no end, right? That Jesus reigns and he reigns in his kingdom. Why? Because every king, or excuse me, every kingdom has a king. Now, what does a king do? A king rules the kingdom. So the king is the chief dog, right? He's the guy who everybody looks to and everybody serves and everybody listens to. So the Bible tells us that we have a kingdom and the kingdom of God is ruled by a king and that king is Christ Jesus himself. Now, here's the thing about kingdoms. Everybody knows this. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Do you know there's not a kingdom that's ever existed that has not eventually died? Every kingdom. You go the Babylonians, you go to the Assyrians, you go to uh, the Egyptians, you go to the Romans. And no matter what form of government they are, they're essentially kingdoms, right? The U.S. is essentially a kingdom. We're, We're a nation. We have boundaries and borders and we have rulers. But listen... If we go out into the future far enough, even our kingdom will eventually end. Why? Because every kingdom is overcome by another kingdom eventually. That's just the way history works. But guess what? There is a kingdom who has a king above all kings. He's not only above all kings, he's the king of all kings. And every single king will one day bow to him and proclaim that he is Lord. 
So this is the good news of the kingdom. There is a kingdom, and the kingdom is not of this world. In John chapter 8, verse 35, Jesus said, look, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would be taking up arms right now. This is when Jesus was before Pilate. He said, look, you're, 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 you're accusing me. I'm here on trial. And you say, uh, you know, you're questioning me being a king. But if my kingdom was of this world, then my followers would be here to overthrow you. But he was trying to say, look, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is over this world. It's bigger. And we know that. Because the way Jesus established his kingdom was not the way another king would do it. Every other kingdom was established by force, by power, by um, uh, 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 possessions. It was who was stronger, who was louder, who was bigger. Jesus was totally opposite. Jesus came and he was born in a manger, right? That's the way we look at this. That's our, our, our terminology. Essentially, he was born in a cave where the, animals, where the animals would go in for shelter. He was born with no fanfare. They didn't even have room for him in the hotel, right? They're like, sorry, the bed and breakfast is full, but you can sleep in the barn. And so he was born in a place where there was no glory. He was born in a place where there was no honor. It was very pedestrian. It was servant quarters at best. And when he was born, the animals would have been there, and there would have been Mary and Martha, and, and, and then some shepherds eventually came. But that was it. Now, no king is born that way. Kings are born with pomp and circumstance. My children were born with more pomp and circumstance than the Son of God. Not only that, but he lived a very ordinary life. They escaped to Egypt right? He was from Nazareth, a town that was a nobody town. Kings don't come from Nazareth. They come from big cities, not from dinky little holes in the wall place. And then when he started his formal ministry, he gathered 12 disciples, but he didn't gather the doctors and the lawyers and the priests and the politicians. Every other king does it that way. No, Jesus did it differently. He went to the seaside and he said, hey, you, throw in the net. Yeah, you who smell like fish heads, come follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. He went to the tax collector's office, and he said to the tax collector, come follow me. And then he went, and he found a zealot, and he said, come follow me. And he found this, this, this vagabond group of people, this, this, this group of ragamuffins, as Rich Mullins like to call them, this group of losers, if you will. And he said, come follow me. And so they're all looking at each other, and they're, what they're thinking is, I'm not sure I can follow you if, if he's coming too. Because I don't like him. Because tax collectors were the scum of the earth to the Jews. And the zealots thought that the tax collectors were traitors. And they certainly wouldn't have liked fishermen. There's all this, this, this brokenness inside their own group. And yet Jesus said, but I have good news. We're going to get to all that that means in a minute. But let me just give you a little insight or, or a, little, a little sneak preview. The good news is... All of your differences are nothing compared to the common ground you have in Jesus. No matter if you're black or white or rich or poor or popular or not popular, all of those things mean virtually nothing because you have a Savior who is King of all kings. So Jesus grabbed this vagabond group of people and then he started to preach the gospel of the kingdom. 
And as he did this, people were so confused because they had heard of a coming Messiah. And then Jesus was presented as the Messiah, so much so that they were waiting for him to do the ta-da, right? They were waiting for him to step into his Messiah role, and he never did. In fact, every time that they thought that he had a giant crowd and it was his time to really, really make a stand, he would retreat into nothingness. He would say, no, it's not, my, yet, not yet my time. The crowd is too big. The, the, the words are misunderstood because you think that I'm here to be the king of an earthly kingdom, but I'm not. I'm here to be a king of a heavenly kingdom, of an enormous kingdom that has no end. In fact, on the, uh, the day that we call Palm Sunday is the day that the crowd determined that they would hail him as king and usher him into his position as Messiah. So they took palm branches and they cut them and they laid them on the road and they put them on a colt and then they waved the palm branches and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, here is our king and Jesus rode through the streets, and he surely must have thought to himself, I'm not the king you think I am. Because you think that I'm here for this time and this place. But I am here to redeem mankind for all of eternity. Because if it's a man's kingdom, it's going to end. But this is a kingdom that has no end. And so the very next thing we see is him going into the garden and praying, Father, take this from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And we see him having communion with his, his disciples. And he does this crazy thing that kings don't do. He pulled off his outer clothing and he put on a towel and he knelt. And he began to wash the disciples' feet. This servanthood, this humility that was so unlike what a king would do. And then he said, I'm going to die. And Peter stood up and said, no, you're, 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 you're not. And even if you did... I'm not going to deny you. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I'm going to die, and you're going to deny me. And you're going to deny me three times. No, I won't. Yes, you will. And sure enough, we know the rest of the story. Jesus hung on a cross, and Peter denied him. So we have this story of a king who didn't act like a king, but what the Bible's telling us is this. It's a different kind of kingdom. You see, if I were the king of this nation, right? If I were the president, I would have power. I could do a lot of things. I could, I could heal some things and, and change some things, but I could not bring complete change. I could bring partial change. I could fix some of the problems, but after I'm gone, the problems would come back again. We have good news of the kingdom, and that good news is this, that all things will be made new. That everything broken will be restored. That everything decayed will be made brand new and be made whole. We have a kingdom because we have a king where we have good news that says no matter what news you get, it's really not the end. It's just part of the journey to complete Perfection. So let's look at this a minute. When Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God, he was physically healing diseases and sicknesses among the people. Now, 
That was part of his role here on earth. But what he was doing was portraying the bigger picture. In other words, they came to him because he, they had sickness and diseases, which meant they had no hope. Doctors couldn't heal them. Doctors couldn't fi- uh, uh, fix them. They were, they were broken, and they knew it, so they came to Jesus, and Jesus healed them, and he showed them, look, my purpose is to, give, to make you whole. Now, sometimes we look at the theology that says every single person then that we encounter is supposed to be healed by Jesus. That's not the point. The point is that what Jesus does is he makes things whole. He heals things. The kingdom of God is a kingdom where things are whole, where things are healthy, where things are not broken. It's what God created in the Garden of Eden when God created all things in the first place. In chapter 1 of Genesis, when he created the heavens and the earth, what did he say? It is good. When he created the trees and he created the fish and the, uh, the, the animals in the, in the field, what did he say? It is good. When he created mankind, he said what? It is good. He said very good. So here's the thing. Everything God created in the garden was good. Sin entered and that good became tarnished. That good became broken. The kingdom of God is God restoring everything back to the way he first made it. We know that when we're in heaven, in the presence of God, there's what? There's no sin, there's no sickness, there's no suffering, there's no sorrow, there's no brokenness. Let me get a little more specific. There's no cancer, there's no diabetes, there's no glasses, there's no contacts, there's no coughing, there's no stuffy, stuffy head aching fever so you can rest medicine. You don't need any of that because it's gone when God's kingdom fully comes to pass. But here's the thing. God started it as whole and perfect and healthy. God is going to end it whole and perfect and healthy. We know that the Bible tells us that there's coming a day where sin and suffering and sorrow will be gone, but we are caught in the in-between. We're caught between the then and the what's going to be. So how does that affect us? Here's how it affects us. This excites me. We have good news. The good news is Everything is going to be better. Everything is going to be fixed. Everything is going to be whole. Everything is going to be healed. And so while we're here dealing with the stuff of life, the good news is Jesus fixes all things in his own time. Now listen, this is not to say, this is not to say that there's not hardship and suffering and sorrow when you lose somebody to death that you love it you're not going to go oh it's okay they're going to live again you know you don't do that right that's insane why because we love people because we're brokenhearted because we have this giant empty hole inside of us but the bible teaches us that we don't grieve like those who have no hope Our grieving is different because our grieving turns to joy. Because we know that through Christ Jesus, if they knew Christ Jesus, they will live again. When we get the news of of a sickness, cancer, whatever it might be, that breaks us. And we look at God and we say, God, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't hope for this. I didn't want this. 
But then we start looking at the promises of Scripture that say, if this earthly tent is destroyed, we have a, a, a building made by God, made not by human hands, right? So we have a tent here, but we have something whole when we're in His presence. And so you can take any bad news that you've got, any bad news, and you can plug it into the gospel, and the gospel changes the outcome every time. So church, that is what we're about. We're not about pretending bad news is in existence. We're not about just jumping over it and and pretending that it doesn't hurt. We're not about uh, uh, just blindly imagining that people aren't suffering. No, no. Actually, what Jesus did was he was in the midst of their suffering. He walked right into the midst of the most broken places. I'm convinced that you will find Jesus more quickly in a broken place than you will find him in a holy place. Don't miss what I'm saying. Because you know, when I say holy place, I should say a religious place. Jesus is among the sick. He's among the needy. He's among the hurting. In fact, Jesus said it's the sick who need a doctor. That's where I am. So this king was not an earthly king. He was not like any other king you and I have ever known. He was a king that did not have anything to prove. We're going to talk about this next week. I'm going to preach Matthew 16, 24, I think. And Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That statement, if we truly grasp what it really means, totally changes everything in our life. It's a whole new way to live that, quite frankly, most of us don't really want to live that way. And most of us have a hard time living that way because it's a life of total and complete humility. It's dying to myself And acknowledging that it is Jesus who is everything in me. And so in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus went about preaching the good news of the kingdom. And he, he was in the midst of their suffering and he was healing their disease and their sickness. And as a result, people from all over the place brought him those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Listen, this is not just about physical healing. This is about healing in every area of your life. Can I tell you, we have good news, and the good news is there's no brokenness in your life that Jesus has not already been at work in healing. But you have a response. You have a response. In Mark chapter 1, This is the response. Verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. This is what Jesus said. Repent. And believe the good news. That's our response. 
to repent and to believe. Repentance is, is not stopping something bad. See, we think that sometimes repentance is about, okay, I'm just not going to do that anymore. That's not repentance. Repentance is not an action or stopping an action. Repentance is agreeing with God. It's understanding the brokenness of our life. Ultimately, it's the battle between pride and humility. It's not about a particular sin. It's about the pride that leads us to that sin. Because the center of pride is I. The center of humility is not I. So pride says, I want what I want. Humility says, I want what God wants. We sin because of pride every single time. Pride says it's about me. Pride Pride says it's about my pleasure. Pride says it's about my existence. Pride says it's about my self-preservation. Humility says it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Humility says it's not what I want, it's what God wants. Humility says it's not about my kingdom, it's about his kingdom. Can you see the difference? So to repent is to say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm looking in the mirror and I'm seeing myself for who I really am. And here's the thing, I can't even fix it. You ever looked at the mirror and said, I can't fix me? Listen, you can't fix you. And if you think you can fix you, you're in a lot of trouble. Because if you could have fixed you, you would have fixed you. If you could have, you would have. You can't, but he can. So repentance is saying, look at me. I'm a mess. I can't. God, all I can do at this point is believe. Here's what believe is. It's trusting in who Jesus is. You're not believing in an idea. You're believing in a person. You're believing in a person who has demonstrated that he has all power in every situation in life. We know that because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1. Verse 3. Concerning the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Here's what Jesus did. 2,000 years ago, we're celebrating today this thing called the resurrection. This king was murdered on a cross. And all the disciples and all of the town was buzzing because of it. Because here's this guy doing good. Here was this guy that was supposed to be the Messiah. He's now dead. Imagine Peter, James, and John. They're looking at each other going, we just gave our lives for the last three years for this guy. He's now dead. We know because John tells us that they didn't understand the, the, the resurrection They didn't understand it until they saw it. Otherwise, they would have reacted completely differently. But they were looking at each other going, man, have we just wasted three years of our lives? Have we just put our... They were so afraid that when Jesus rose from the dead, they were in in the upper room hiding. Doors locked, locked, drapes closed. Looking at each other, wondering, are we next? They killed him. They're coming to kill us too. But on the third day, the the ladies got up early. 
The Bible says it was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And then Mark tells us that it was also Salome. And so there were a few others that went. They went to the tomb, and when they got there, they found that the tomb was empty. And the angel, the messenger of God, was saying, who did you come to see? You came to see Jesus who was crucified? Didn't he tell you he wasn't going to stay dead? And in that moment, I think a light went on, and they go, that is good news. They ran back and told the rest of the disciples. They didn't believe him, so they went back to the tomb. Now, it wasn't because they just didn't believe him. It was because they wouldn't believe in anybody. They went back and they saw for themselves that Jesus had risen. You can trust this king because he did what no other king has ever done. He came and he said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be in the grave. That was important because you don't go into the grave unless you're dead. You got to be dead, dead to be in the grave, right? Now, it was important to note that he didn't just faint. He wasn't really just sleeping in a deep sleep and he revived. No, he was dead as dead can be. We know that because the Roman soldiers who executed him were masters of execution. Crucifixion was reserved for prisoners and those who were revolting against the government. And so when they did that, it was a, it was a display. Don't revolt against us. Don't be this evil. And the soldiers knew what dead was. So much so that it was, it was coming to the time where they needed to pull him off the cross. So they expedited the death or they tried to expedite the, de- the death by st- stabbing a sword or a, a spear into his side. And the Bible says that blood and water flowed. Now if you go into the medical books, you'll find that there's a condition that causes blood and water to flow. Essentially, it's a broken heart. It's such extreme stress that, that, that that's how that happens. So when Jesus died, he was dead, dead. They took him off the cross. They wrapped him in some grave clothes. They put him in a borrowed tomb. You ever wondered why it was a borrowed tomb? Because he was planning on giving it back. You don't borrow something you're planning on keeping. You only borrow something that you're not going to keep forever. They put him in this tomb, then they rolled the stone. And if you listen to the details of the Gospels, you'll find that this was so important that, that, that not only was the stone rolled in front of the tomb, but they sealed the stone with a signet ring. That seal meant if anybody breaks this seal, they will be dead, just like the dead dead of Jesus inside. Because they were afraid that the disciples would steal the body. Now, think about it. The disciples were a bunch of weenies up inside of the upper room, scared for their lives. They weren't about to come steal the body, right? There were soldiers that were posted at the tomb. And as they stood there, they were probably thinking to themselves, man, this is kind of weird. We've never guarded a tomb before. Usually when somebody's dead, people just move on. It was a big deal. And so he was dead. And then on the third day, the stone was rolled away. By the angel of God. And when they looked inside, they found that he was risen. And the Bible tells us details. It says the linens were on the ground and the face face covering was folded. The napkin was folded in place there. Telling us that this was an intentional act of God. 
It was the real deal. So I ask you, number one, what are you facing that has gotten you so twisted and turned around that you can't see that the good news is good news? What are you dealing with that has blinded you from the reality of if you have repented and believed, if you know who Jesus is, what you're currently dealing with is not the end of the story. It's Groundhog Day, folks. Every day you're going to wake up and realize that God has changed the circumstance. And then the second question is this. Have you trusted in this good news? Have you trusted in this good news? Your responsibility is to repent and believe. That's it. It's agreeing with God. God, I'm looking in the mirror and what I'm seeing is not good. But God, I'm trusting, placing my faith in Jesus that he is who he says he is. And because of the power of the resurrection, my hope is in things that I can't even see. Will you close your eyes and bow your head with me for just a moment? Folks, the good news changes everything. Changes everything. The tomb is empty. The king is ushering in his kingdom. Maybe today, maybe next week, maybe a century from now. But we know the end of the story. This morning, what is it that God is calling you to do with the truth that you've heard out of his word today? Father, my prayer is that we would not rely upon tricks or gimmicks, that we would not rely upon our own ability to deliver news. God, I pray that we would open up the cage and step aside and let the power of the gospel do its work. Because the gospel's power is power for salvation for all who will believe. Father, I pray that as your people, we would truly understand the gospel of the kingdom. I pray that we would know that it's not, it's not a small thing. It's everything. Lord, we have staked our lives on this story, on this news. And we've trusted this news so deeply because of the resurrection. So, Father, on this day, burn deep within our souls this unwavering belief, this trust that Jesus Christ is who He says He is. And I pray for the one listening now, whether through TV or Facebook or who's present in the room, God, I pray that, that whatever doubt there might be would turn to belief. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. We ask in Jesus' name.